All right, it's already 11.40, and so uh, I never want to initiate this whole thing, but um, as Apostle said, same door that lets you in will let you out. I say that in a, I'm not as, I'm not as strong and can and say it like he does, but I don't mean that that way. I'm just saying that you're released if you, if you want to go. I have something on my heart I want to give. I'll try to make it snappy and, um, and move on, but I, I really just feel like Yahweh uh, has something for me to release today, and I'm going to get it out there, okay? Amen. All right, so uh, not that long ago, uh, we started to talk about the in and out lifestyle that we learned from from Solomon, right? I believe that we've talked, Chris said this morning, he was talking about the age of peace, that we've, we've transitioned or we're in the process or however you want to look at it, that there is something that's made available to us called the age of peace is what we've come to know it as. And basically it's a shifting of our minds, a shifting of a uh, a different time that we're under a, a new anointing, if you will, um, that there's a, there's a new call. There's something different in this time, whatever you want to say it. But the, I believe that the rhythm, the heartbeat of this age of peace is the in and out lifestyle that Solomon talked about. And so since it, just a real quick review, what happened is we're talking about the different, the, the transition from David, King David's reign to King Solomon. He asked for wisdom. That's how we've always known it. But in reading and in studying this, he actually asked for wisdom so that he may go in because he did not know how to lead the people in or out. And that stirred me. I, I've, I've been on that. I'm like, what is that about? And I've started to do a little more research and I realized that this is a common Hebraic terminology. That there's, I've heard people talk about this and I want to give you a definition because there's actually a definition of this. Uh, go through um, a few instances in scripture where uh, this has been referenced in many leaders' lives and, uh, and it, it's going to help me give context to where I'm going this morning, okay? Cool. All right, so it's the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, and no, I do not read that. I mean, <laughs> I love to read the Bible and do that, but I'm not reading the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia on my day-to-day basis, but I heard someone who did, and they gave this definition, and it's awesome. So um, it says that the in-and-out uh, term is, a commonly refer- is commonly referred to uh, term as Israel's leader's ability to prepare her people for warfare. In a summary, the king was held responsible for all of Israel's uh, all of Israel as the Lord's people. His main duty was to defend it against all her enemies, and for this reason, it was his responsibility to raise up and maintain a standing army. It was expected of him that he be its leader in case of war. The ark of God was believed to be possessed by a special virtue. Uh, in assuring victory, and because it was identified in the eyes of the Israelites with the presence of Yahweh, it was often taken into battle. The people learned, however, by experience to put their trust in Yahweh himself and not necessarily the ark through the process of coming in before Yahweh and going out with his presence. And so, uh, so what would happen is, and you may know this, but basically in the king, whoever was the king at the time, when they were preparing for a battle, what he would do is he would lead his people into worship. Like they would go before Yahweh in worship, knowing that they have some things that they're about to have to deal with. And it was believed that as they went in, when they went out to battle, that his presence was with him and he was going to win that battle for them. And there's, and they even fought with a banner at times with his name across it. And they would, in the name of Yahweh and enemies would flee. They wouldn't even get into the fight. And it's and it's and it was it was always this idea that coming in 
was speaking to them in that day, how do you come in? So when Solomon was asking, how do I, I don't know how to go in. Well, you just worship. Like, I think that there's a protocol or, uh, you know, or I don't even like to say protocol. There's just a different way in each time, in each generation that Yahweh shows them. And, and I believe that Solomon was asking, what, how, how did my father do it effectively? I don't want to do what he used to do. I want to do what I'm called to do. How do I go in and lead the people in so that I can may, may go out? And so, let me run through these leaders. Uh, I have, Derek, I, you're going to have to fly with me here. I gave him some scriptures. We're going to go through them real quick just to uh, reference these different leaders. And then, um, and then we'll get into what we're actually going to talk about today. So don't try to follow along. You can if you're very quick at flipping. Hopefully he'll have them up here. But this first, my bad. All right. Um, the first one is Deuteronomy 31.2. Uh, and this is Moses when he was stepping down. And it says, uh, then, Moses went, uh, then Moses went and spoke to these words to all of Israel. And he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I can no longer go out and come in. So he obviously had that understanding. Then we go to uh, Numbers 27, 15. I have these amazing little Roll Tide Alabama stick it, sticky notes to try to keep myself organized here. Um, Numbers 27, 14 is Moses again, but it says, uh, Then Moses spoke to Yahweh, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of Yahweh may not be like sheep which have no shepherd. So he was praying for Joshua. We're praying for the next leader, um, and, he, and he referenced the in and out there. Um, next one was Solomon that I've written down, but we just went over that. He asked for wisdom, but he was asking for wisdom of how to lead the people in and out as a leader. Um, next is Joshua fourteen eleven, and this was Caleb talking about his promise and to go into the promised land. He said, as yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me, just as my strength was then, so now my strength is now for war, both for going out and for coming in. And then this is the this is the main one, and this is where we're at now. So we're talking about war. We're talking about, you know, these guys, they had to look at it a little differently because they were actually going into battle. But then the main man talks about it. Our king, the one that leads us in and out, Yeshua. And he says in John, I won't rip my Bible there, John uh, chapter 10, verse 9. You hear Chris talk about this a lot, but it says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Is that what it says? Yes. Go in and out and find pasture. And when I read that, I thought about the, uh, the pasture, the green pasture, and it, it's referencing rest. It's, ref, it's referencing peace. It's referencing giving it to him. And so, and I think about, we read recently about the story of the five feeding the 5,000. And what were the two things that Yeshua told his disciples? First, he said, uh, he said, bring me what you have. Secondly, he said, tell the people to sit down. And the Passion Translation actually gives a description of what that looked like, that it was this big green open pasture. And if you were to be up on top of a hill and see it, that it would look like plots of a garden everywhere along it. But it just was this depiction of peace that he says, sit down and rest. I see what you see. 
Now see what I see. And we know what happens next. He gives thanks. He comes before his father with thanks, gets vision for the miracle, and bada bing, bada boom, that's what the miracle happens, and we're talking about it today, right? So, um... So that, that to me has been where I'm at, where I'm, uh, where the in and out lifestyle has, has led me here. That Yeshua is now this king that is leading us in and out. And you can take that down, put Yahweh back up there, please. I don't know why, but if I see words, I just immediately start reading them. So I'd rather read Yahweh than that scripture the whole time. Um, so, uh, there, there's, there's this a story that, I, that, that makes me think of this. You know, Yeshua, uh, you know, he's talked about his table to us. We've, we're, we're pulling our seat up to his table. But really, it's all about this in and out. It's going into him, bringing everything that we have before him, and he sends us out with his presence, right? And I think about when I used to, uh, I used to play soccer, and I played um, in a men's league not that long ago, and Zach was on the team, Tyler Ball, Barr was on the team, Jonathan Murner, you know these guys, Kibbs, you remember Kibbs? I don't know where he is, but Kibbs, you remember him? And uh, we, we had this, uh, oh, and Dr. Stryker, my bad. He, he, he made sure that we knew that he was there. Dr. Gerlez, Dr. Stryker, as he went by. Anyways, uh, so we were on this team, and, and we always, we, we played this one team that in, in this, like, championship game, and there was this one kid that was, we, like, were, called him Fancy Feet because he would pull the ball over to the line, and he would sit there and just be like, Mm, mm, mm. pulling around, you'd be stabbing, falling on the ground, trying to get the ball from him. He just could pull it away from you. He always wanted you to pull you into his fight. He wanted to just get you over on the line. You start stabbing at the ball, and before you know it, your legs are pretzels. You're laying on the ground, trying to blame it on the turf or something, and he's down scoring a goal. And so it was so frustrating, and we were so mad about it. We are just like, my gosh, this kid, like, I cannot get the ball from him. None of us wanted to admit it. We were all good enough to take him. Like, let, let me guard. I got him. I got him. I got him. On the ground. He's gone. And so then we're sitting there at halftime, and there was one person that hadn't said anything yet. And we hadn't thought about how to approach getting this kid. And we, we, we realized we have a sledgehammer on our team in the form of Jonathan, the beast, Murner. And we're sitting, we're sitting there on the sideline. I'm like, okay, Jonathan, you take him. He's like, yeah, but I'm going to do it my own way. I got you. I got you. I, guys, you just haven't asked me. I got you. All right. So the guy has the ball, Jonathan doesn't do anything, so I immediately run up, and I'm sitting there trying to stab, trying to stab, and Jonathan all of a sudden, out of nowhere, knocks the kid right over, runs straight through him, has the ball, and he starts, of course, Jonathan got carded for that. And I was like, dude, what in the world? He was like, see if he'll do it the next time. So so I'm not, not condoning this, I'm just saying this is how it happened. So the next time, the boy gets to the sideline, and, and I go up to him, and it's like, he flinches. He stops, and I pull the ball away, and I'm gone. And every single time he flinched, he flinched, he flinched. And I was like, man, why do I try to go into his fight and try to do what he's pulling me into when we have something that defeats it every single time? And I, I know what I'm trying to say here, obviously, is that why do we try to fight battles that we shouldn't be in in the first place? I think a lot of us are suffering from an old age of the PTSD almost, where we're like, we flinch every single time anything happens, any kind, of, any kind of situation. I think what Chris said was so important and where I'm getting at this morning is that it's not in this age of peace. We're going to get ourselves completely confused and mixed up and switched around and frustrated if we say, oh, we've moved into a different time, an age of peace. I don't have to deal with anything. And then all of a sudden you have to deal with something. 
It's what's happened to me before, Eva, before, when we first, everything started, Apostle Aaron started talking about this thing and it started to be referenced. When we came into this thing, we're like, you know, oh man, this is amazing. We got so caught up in the age of peace that we didn't ever deal with the situation at hand. And we started to almost, it started, we started to focus on ourselves of why we're even going through this thing in the first place. What are we missing? Why are we still having issues? And it's not about the fact that we do not deal with things. It's about the response. Ben told me this the other day was something he was dealing with. And he said, and he said, my dad told me this. He said, make up your mind with any situation you're going through. Go ahead and say, if the worst thing happens, make up your mind what your response is going to be before it ever even happens. Make up your mind where your source is and what you are going to do. And so for me, I know that I have chosen Yeshua. For me, I know that I am done grabbing the sword. But there's one man who I believe in the Bible was the biggest proponent of the in and out. And so also for me, I think that he was probably one of the most, it sounds weird to say this, but he, I think he always struggled. I think he struggled with the age of peace and war. I think he was always being called and beckoned to peace and he could not get away from war. And it's helped me through this, this whole day, this, the, the transition in our lives. It's helped me through, uh, through this whole process. It helps me today. Yahweh always has highlighted this. And if you remember in the very beginning of the year, I started to talk out of First Samuel, talking about David and talking about his, the, the, the things that Yahweh did through him, whether that be the fighting of Goliath or, uh, or his, his, him running. We've talked about... Um, the time that he led his people across the brook of Bezor, all these different situations. But I've been reading out of 1 Samuel and Yahweh through this process has brought me to one story and I never knew exactly when, if it was even for this or if it was for me. And I know that if it's for me, probably hopefully it'll help you as well. And I know that Yahweh has called us to this time of rest and peace. And I think that this story provides context of a response. And I wanna show this to you. This is about David and uh and it's 1 Samuel 21, 7 is where we're going to start. And so just to give you some, uh, some framework of where we're at right now, David has just talked to Jonathan. Back up. David has already fought Goliath. David is, you know, he's actually loved in the land. Saul had him come in. He had, at one time, he was bringing Saul peace. And then in the next moment, Saul hated him because people are, worshiping basically David over Saul. He said, you know, they, they had that whole chant that uh, Saul's killer thousands, David's killed ten thousands or whatever. And his little complex that he had never could see himself as Yahweh saw him. Saul went crazy and is trying to kill David. And David has just met with Jonathan, Saul's son, and his, and his Jonathan basically said this, my dad's coming to kill you. So I'm sorry. I tried to reconcile it. We tried to be good, but you better run, brother. It's, it's getting bad here. So, so David has run and he's come to this city of Nob. And so he's, and he, and he's, and he comes to this temple where he meets this priest, uh, Ahimelech. And this priest is, is kind of scared because he's like, David, why are you here? I know who you are, but why are you here by yourself? And David's hungry and he's, and he's, uh, and he's scared. And David says, listen, um, Saul sent me. He starts lying. Saul sent me. It's kind of like a secret op mission. I can't tell you a lot about it right now, but uh, just give me some bread uh, and we'll be good, all right? Well, so then he gets here and he recognizes uh, a certain man by the name of, uh, uh, of, what's his name? Where'd he go? Am I in the right thing? Oh, glory, hallelujah. 
<laughs> yeah, sorry. Okay. Doeg, that's his name. So now a certain man of the servants of Saul, this is verse 7, 21 verse 7. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day detained before Yahweh, and his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chief of herdsmen who belonged to Saul. And David said to Ahimelech, is there not here on hand a spear or a sword? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me because the king's business required haste. So he's lying to him. He realizes this guy that is that he knows he knows what's going down. He knows his his basically his cover's blown, and he's trying to get Ahimelech like, dude, like you got a sword or a spear. Like his back's against the wall. He's nervous. But what I want to draw attention to is if we go back to the the story of David and Goliath, and we read this. I want you to hear David's response to this. First Samuel. This is First Samuel. Uh, let me get my note off here. First Samuel seventeen, forty-five. Is is he is he tracking with me? Derek doing a good job. All right, he's trying. All right, Are y'all following me? You good? You all right? Okay, then you can just listen to me. It's cool. First Samuel seventeen forty-five, and it says, "Then then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin.'" But I come to you in the name of Yahweh, of uh, the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head. And gross, 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 gross. 47 says, Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with a sword and a spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So, okay, so that's weird that he's talking to Goliath like, I'm about to beat you down, boy, and I'm not even have a, a sword and a spear. And then he gets in a situation where he's on the run, his back's against the wall, and, he's, and I don't know if it's from just war and fighting and getting that. His mindset has changed that he's reliant on this sword, that he needs a sword or a spear. Where's the sword or the spear, Ahimelech? And so I think this is so, so cool and so, I mean, just so significant. So verse 9. So the priest said, so Ahimelech said, the sword, Goliath, the sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is no, no other except that one here. And David said, there is none like it, give it to me. It's almost like that, like, my precious type thing. It's like calling to him. <laughs> He's like, there's none like it none like it. There's nothing like it. There's nothing that fights like that thing. It, it won the battle for me one time, even though he didn't, but he used it one time, and it's Goliath's sword, and it called to him. But the number one most significant thing in this scripture right here is the fact that it says it was behind the ephod. Is behind the ephod. And as we've read multiple times that David starts to learn as he goes on in his kingship and his reign, that the ephod, which actually historically, like it literally, the ephod was what uh, a king or a priest or whoever would, would put on a linen cloth that signified the connection between Yahweh and himself. That it was a set apart tool, if you will, that, that signified that I, no matter what I'm going through, I'm coming before Yahweh and I'm giving it to him, Right? And so, so 
I think it's, and, and David himself later on, every single time you read about him, his tool, his thing was the ephod. It represented peace to him. It represented no matter what I'm going through, no matter what situation I have, I'm, I'm loading up on that ephod, I'm putting that on, and, and, and I'm going to be good because I'm giving it to Yahweh. It said, I bring myself above, above my circumstances, he restores my soul, and then I will go out. It was his coming in lifestyle was the ephod. And in this moment, I think it's ridiculous and so significant and so cool that it says, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, who you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. So he had to literally surpass what represented the, the, the relationship and the connection between Yahweh and himself, him fighting the battle, the whole reason he beat Goliath in the first place, because of this war age, because of whatever he had been dealing with, he went around the ephod, around the age of peace, if you will, to grab the sword. That speaks for itself. I think that's, that's crazy. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's, to me, it's so significant. It's helped me. And so I want to read what was the, what was the, uh, the result of that. So David Im- immediately runs. He's on the run again. He's on the run again. And this is 17, 22, 17. It says, then the king said to the guards who stood about him, about him, turn and kill the priest of the Lord because their hand is also, also is with David. And because they n- knew when he fled and did not tell it to me, uh, the servants of the king, oh, I'm sorry. And they fled and did not tell it to me. This is Saul. Sorry, I didn't give you context. I just started reading because I'm so into it. But anyways, Saul gets there. He's with his, he's with his, uh, his, his bud, what was his name? Doeg. And he's like, he's reporting to him. He said, listen, he ran, he's got a sword, all this kind of situations going on here. And so Saul comes and said, the king said to the guards who stood about him, turn and kill the priest of the Lord because their hand also is with David. And because they knew when he fled and did not tell it to me uh, and did not tell it to me, I cannot figure out a period here and did not tell it to me, period. Sorry, teachers. But the servants of the king would not lift their hands to, sh- uh, to strike the priest of the Lord. But then this is the crazy thing here. 18. And the king then turned to Doeg, who was there, and watched David grab that sword. And the king said to Doeg, then you turn and kill the priest. So Doeg, the Edomite, turned and struck the priest and killed on that day 85 men who wore a linen ephod. Also Nob, the city of the priest, he struck with the edge of the sword, both men, women, children, nursing infants, oxen and donkeys and sheep with the edge of the sword. That's harsh. In that moment, and this is just a thought, we don't know because it didn't happen. In that moment, what if, what if David would have grabbed the ephod instead of the sword? What if he said, you know what, Yahweh, I'm, I'm in a bind here. I need you. I'm setting myself apart. I'm not taking that sword, though it calls to me. I'm not going into that battle. It's yours. I'm just going to worship you here in this moment. What would have happened to Doeg? 
you never know what lives could be changed in that moment. And so because of his decision, all these people die. The city is getting slain by the sword. In verse 6 of 23, it says, this is, this is what happened. So there is someone that escapes, and it's actually the son of Ahimelech, the priest that got killed. Because the priest, he was saying earlier in that story, he was like, dude, like, I thought David was your man. I thought he was, I thought he was your, 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 your main guy. That's all I know. I did not, I, I had no idea. I gave him the sword because I did not know. The last I heard, you guys were bros, you were boys, and it's all good, but now all of a sudden something's wrong. So don't kill me. I didn't know. Saul didn't want to hear it, and he killed everyone. And so, so David comes, and so one person escaped, and it was Abiathar, which it was, uh, if I'm saying that right, that is actually Ahimelech's son, escaped. And this is verse 6. It says, now it happened that Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David in Keilah, that he went down with an ephod in his hand. He knows what's up. And Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah. So, so, so Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. Saul sees it as it's over with, I got it. Yahweh delivered him to me because he, is, he, he lost his mind and went into a city. He has no way out. Game time, boys. Sharpen your swords. We got David. You see, this is the thing about this is that, you know, when Yahweh can actually show himself strong is in the times that there is something going on. It's not just for the people around you. It's not even necessarily to deliver you from your situation. It's to grow that relationship and trust that he has with you and build the relationship and the glory it comes through and you are built up and lifted up and you realize I choose the source every time versus the sword. The whole thing with Goliath, the whole thing of killing Goliath, Yeshua just, I mean, Yahweh just was showing David like, look, dude, I got you. And he knew it then what happened. What happened in these little, this little, this is what drives me crazy about scripture. There's so much that happened in that moment. What was it that changed David to go from the age of peace where he constantly trusted Yahweh, where he constantly said, you fight my battle because I'm not getting involved in that, to saying, give me that sword. So now it happened that when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David and Keilah, that he went down with an ephod in his hand, saw blah, 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 saw, saw him, realized he was entering a town that had no gates and bar, or that had gates and bars, and that he had him trapped. Verse 8, then Saul called all the people together for war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. I'm telling you, he's like, game is on. And in 9, he says, when David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abiathar, the priest, bring the ephod here. There's a big difference. And I think that there's a, uh, was that you, Evan? My goodness. Oh, my bad. I didn't mean to embarrass anybody. Uh, just caught me off guard there. <laughs> Bring the ephod here. Bring the ephod here. David realized, and I think that this is significant to us, right? That this is that there's many things where we have engaged that sword. We can all say it. There's situations in our life. It doesn't matter. I don't know what that sword represents to you. I can't tell you. I know what it represents for me. If I'm honest, it's like right in here. 
I love, like I said before, what Bill Johnson said, your mind is an is a excellent servant and a terrible master. But within my mind, I think things through. I've, I've, I'm, a, I'm, I'm by nature a worrier. I'm trusting Yahweh to change some of those things in me. But like I, I, I want to know what's going to happen tomorrow. I want to know. I want to make sure that we get it right. I want to figure everything out. I wanna, I'm going to be worried about everybody and everything in the room. And Yahweh is just saying, no, 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 no. Shh. Rest. Rest. Don't engage that thing. For me, the sword represents me trying to do it myself. Me just trying to make situations work and freak out and do what I got to do and I'll get it done. And at the end of the day, I've said this before, I'll just glorify Yahweh and say, yeah, he did that. I'm giving it to him. No, you did it yourself. I didn't do anything with that. That was the sword. And so, so, so David gets the ephod. And in that moment, he is delivered. We won't go into everything. It's 1210 right now. We're going we're gonna to speed this up. But... David is delivered. He gets out of that through circumstances, actually through kind of like an under the, under the table, Yahweh told him like, yeah, they're coming. He gets out of there with his people, escapes, and David goes on his way. And, and most of the time, now David dealt with, like I said, throughout his life, I feel like peace and war, peace and war. That dude could, I think he was struggling. I think he was torn apart. I don't think that he ever quite got in there. But the ephod was a huge tool in his, in his uh, repertoire, I guess, of things, in his bag, in his, in his sheet that he used to engage Yahweh. I'm landing. Hey, band, could you get up here real quick, worshipers, please? Um, I did tell Chris uh, this, this uh, morning that I did want to play that song, This Is How I Fight My Battles. Because I, I struggle with it sometimes, like thinking about even talking about battles, talking about stuff. But I think that it's nice and it's real and it's good, it's right to recognize that there sometimes is a battle to fight. But I think the number one thing to realize is it's not your battle to fight. And I think when, Yahweh, when Yeshua invites us into the table, when he says, come in, come in, come to me, when we pull our seats up to that table, that it's like we come in and we say, gosh, you know, I, and we have a heart of thankfulness, but we come in and we say, man, I'm, I'm dealing with this, I'm dealing with that, I've got these things going on, I got, and Yeshua's, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. hey, real quick, excuse me, I'll be right back. Because then you're sitting there in the middle of your conversation, Yeshua comes back and throws something down. What was that? Uh, that was just ahead of your anima, enemies. What were you saying? Could you r- repeat what you were saying again? I'm done. I finished that fight. What else you got? And I see as a people, as, as this house, as this family, I feel like, and maybe I'm talking to myself here, but like, I, I feel, I feel this thing about, I, you know, I always say the, the solution versus the source. I've changed that thing to be like the source versus the sword. I choose every single time to engage the source and not the sword. So what is that thing in your life? I don't know. I can't tell you. But I encourage you, I encourage you guys to, to engage, engage this, the source, engage whatever the ephod represents in your life, wrap yourself in that, man. Y'all stand with me. You know, we live, I believe, in a time that the world represents in so many ways the sword, that they're calling you to a, there's a call, there's, there's a cause to join, there's something to be a part of, like, come here, let me give you the sword, let me let, represent us. You're going to be a witness of something in this day. You'll either represent the source or the sword. And I believe that the world 
that, you know, in the very beginning, I've thought this for a while, but in the beginning when you read Genesis, that Yahweh's spirit hovered over the heavens, the earth, or the, the waters and, and the earth. And it, and it just that visual is crazy. But it never said it went away. I believe that his, his literal spirit hovers over this earth. And we are spirit beings, whether you're saved or not saved, you're spirit beings. And too long, I believe that this world has, has felt that spirit and perverted what he, his heart. I think he transmits his heart through that spirit. And I think that this world has stood up and said, man, I'm feeling something different. Let me tell you what that is. <laughs> Women's rights. We've been held down for too long. We, we're gonna make this political. We're gonna give people sword to join a cause. Wait, I feel something. I, the white man has held us down. It's black lives matter. It's this or white lives matter or, or we're segregated in some way. There is a fight here. Join our cause, take our sword, be a part of it. We can feel this, but you know what Yahweh was saying? He was saying, Ezer Konegdo. He was saying, I called you to walk together, not to rule over the woman and not for the woman to rule over you, but we, I'm calling a time in this day and age where you can walk hand in hand, arm to arm, strength to strength, and that there's no, there's no dichotomy between the races that I call all of you unto me and I will give you rest. And it's why he is raising up a generations of sons and daughters to interpret that spirit those that say, man, the battle is his and I'm gonna pull up to the table. I'm not gonna engage with the political fight. I'm not gonna engage with all these things that the world's trying to get me engaged with. I'm not gonna just listen to their report. I'm not just gonna get stuck on social media and have my cause and put everything out there, but I'm going to engage with the one that has everything and has the answer to it all. I mean, Yahweh's calling us together He is joining our spirits together because he created us. If you breathe in and breathe out, breathe in and breathe out, it's not your breath. And I'm reminded every single time that I go through a situation and I want to engage a sword or I want to get mad about something or I want to fight something that I just breathe in and I breathe out and I say, it does not matter. The battle's not mine. It's his breath in my lungs. And he breathed his very essence, his being into me. So I always have something to give and I've always been given the greatest thing ever. And here's the thing about all of this stuff. The earth is Yahweh's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. That's the priority. Not the fear of what you walk in, seek his face. You got something going on, seek his face. You're upset about something, you got something that you just, you, you have to engage, no, seek his face. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, 
the Lord mighty in battle. Engage him and everything else falls into place. I'm telling you this morning. Does that edify you? Do you, do you does, that, does that mean something to you? It means something to me this morning. I'm calling this, this day as we go into this age of peace that we will be those that walk in before him and go out in his presence. Not because some king told us to, not because some leader told us to, but because Yeshua, the king, told us to. That he's inviting us to his table to come in before him and go out. Amen. Amen. I love y'all. I bless you. I thank you so much for hearing my heart this morning. Go out today in his presence. Amen. Amen.